0: Scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Therefore, through him let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices.
1: Someone once said, it doesn't matter how slowly you run, so long as you don't stop. As many of us know, running the race as a follower of Christ can be difficult. There's always unexpected obstacles to overcome and unwanted pain to manage. It's easy to stop. But Scripture reassures us that any obstacle or pain we face pales in comparison to what awaits us at the finish line. It's not about getting there first. It's about running with purpose and with peace. The end of Hebrews tells us how to do that how to keep on running life's amazing race to victory. As we carry this uh, analogy of an amazing race, like Randy said, we can see the finish line. We have reached the end. We are at Hebrews 13. And to this point, Hebrews is a a powerful articulation of the gospel. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about his superiority. We're talking about his uh, supremacy. We're talking about his sufficiency. Jesus is everything that we need. And then functionally, that sermon kind of ends in chapter 12. And then we get to chapter 13. And to carry the analogy of a sermon, we kind of made it to the announcements section. Uh, Our writer is going to give us a few truths, a few uh, realities of what it means to do Christian life well, but they come at us almost like bullet points. Um, It kind of reminds me of walking out the door, the last thing that your mom or dad says to you when you walk out. Those important truths for life, but they come at you in a bullet point like, be safe, which I can't imagine a kid has ever been walking out the door with intent to be reckless and then their parent says, be safe, and they're like, oh, I almost made it, you know? Uh, I don't think that happens. Um, those last messages of just, you know, remember to turn in that assignment, or make sure and say hi to this person whenever you see them, those, those last little moments that you give your kid as they walk out the door. I'm sure your parents had them. We give those to our kids. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, well, whenever we do sporting events with the youth group, Ashley used to always say, have fun. And then a couple years ago, she stopped saying, have fun, and she started saying, don't hurt yourself. Um, that's humbling. Like that, that is unfortunate. It's also a reality uh, of life for me now, which is a bummer. But uh, those last little things that you say going out the door, what is the message that you want to leave them with as they're about to go out? That's what we've reached whenever we make it to Hebrews 13. So let's jump in to these final instructions. I'm going to work us through the first eight verses, and then Randy's going to close out the rest of chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 8, because I think it sets the tone for the whole chapter. Verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The writer gives us this message about the consistency of Jesus right in the middle of the passage. Why do that? Well, I think... I think the writer wants to anchor us in Jesus as our example, as our compass for life. Jesus is our model for life. And then I think, I think this is what I want us to take away from this first part of this passage. If we get our picture of Jesus right, we can live life with clarity and conviction. I believe if we can get our picture of Jesus right, we can live our life with clarity and conviction. Unfortunately, people have done a lot of evil throughout time in the name of Jesus, but not the real Jesus. They've done evil in the name of a Jesus that they've made into their own image, their version of Jesus that sees the world the way that they do and treats people the way they want to treat people and always puts themselves at the front. We have to let Scripture tell us who Jesus is. We have to let uh, time spent in His Word tell us who Jesus is, and then we have to shape our life around it. The more we see Jesus correctly, the more the temptations of this world, those aren't gonna have appeal to us. The more we see Jesus, the more we're gonna treat people like Jesus did. The more we see Jesus as he truly is, the more we're gonna value the things that Jesus values. So I think our writer's inviting us to see Jesus and then to act as Jesus did, to value the things that Jesus values. Why do we read the Gospels over and over and over and over again? Because we need to see Jesus. We want to make sure that we are seeing Jesus as he is, as the text reveals him, and then to live our life accordingly. So, with Jesus as our pattern, for everything that we do, following his life, death, resurrection, let's read these announcements to end the sermon and uh, see what we're called into in light of who Jesus is. We'll move through these relatively quickly and then just make some observations at the end. So Hebrews 13, one and two. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. All right, we start with a core principle. If you're going to be a Christ follower, you need to be loving. You need to love one another. Um, It's Jesus that says uh, in John 13, by this everyone will know that you are my disciple by the way that you love one another. Love is foundational. Love is identity shaping for us. Why? Because Jesus did, right? It's that simple. Because Jesus loves, we love. And then we get an instruction to be hospitable to the stranger, be hospitable to the stranger. And it tells us, you know, if if you're hospitable, you may be entertaining angels and not know it. And this takes us back to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18, and then a couple other scenes throughout Scripture where people are spending time with uh, an angel and not even being aware of it. Why do we value the outsider and the stranger? Because, because Jesus did, right? It's Jesus that we see at dinner with Pharisee or with tax collectors and sinners and and Pharisees for that matter but uh, with the outsiders we see Jesus uh, telling the parable of the good Samaritan where the outcast is the one who's actually the hero and he's the hero because he sees a hurt Jewish man and he's hospitable he has compassion Uh, it's Jesus who's at the well with a Samaritan woman and gives honor and dignity to her Hospitality is a value to Jesus. Stranger, the the person on the outside, is a value to Jesus. And so we practice those things because Jesus practiced those things. Verse 13, a new announcement, or verse 3 in chapter 13, a new announcement about remembering prisoners and those who are enduring suffering. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. I I love the empathy there. If if you were in prison, you would want people to remember you. So think about it as if it was you there. He says the same thing for those who are mistreated. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. I think in our context it's hard to really appreciate the pressure that the early church was under at times. Prison is a very real threat for those in faith. And a lot of our letters are written from prison. Yeah and to remember someone in prison, to go visit them, to bring them food, to care for them. At some level, if they're in prison because of their faith and then you go visit them, you're announcing, I also am a Christian. That's at some level dangerous. You're having to put yourself out there and acknowledge that you share faith with this person and they're in jail for their faith. So uh, the encouragement of the passage is don't let that potential stop you from doing the good you know you need to do. Don't let fear stop you from caring for that person in prison. That, that's a difficult calling, but it's a, it's a needed calling. And then you have the call to care for those who are mistreated, those who are suffering. Christ certainly has a heart for those who are suffering and in need. We know that being a Christ follower does not insulate you from mistreatment. It would be nice if that were the case, but our, our Bible never ever promises us that you'll be protected from suffering. Um, it's, that's the nature of what it means to do life in a broken world. There will be suffering, but God gives us a way through it. And part of the way he gives us a way through it is, is people walking alongside you in the midst of that. Randy's gonna talk to us a little bit more uh, later in chapter 13 about enduring suffering in the name of Jesus. But why do we walk alongside people that are suffering? Because Jesus did. I I think about the parable of the sheep and the goats. Remember those who are are in prison. Remember the least of these. And it's Jesus who says, uh, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do for me. You did for me. All right, our next announcement. We're moving moving quickly because this is what the text does as well. Verses 4 through 6. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about money. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I think this section is about misplaced love. when when you misplace love, it does real damage. Misplaced love does real damage to the individual and it also does real damage to the community, their family, uh, and and all the people they interact with. When misplaced love is placed on a person who you're not married to, it does real damage to the individual. Uh, Sexual immorality, adultery, pornography, all of those things are divisive. They hurt. They hurt you. They hurt your family, they hurt those in your community. The same with money and and the love of money, the pursuit of possessions that hurts you, it hurts your family, it hurts those around you. Whenever you misplace love and love the wrong things, it does damage. Our culture today definitely has a greed problem. Our culture today definitely has a sexual morality problem, but those are not unique to us. Those were true in Jesus' day and they're true here today. But Jesus taught us a better way. Uh, When it comes to marriage, Jesus taught us how to do that well. You might be thinking, Jesus wasn't married. That's true. Uh, But Jesus gives us the model for what it looks like to do marriage well. Ephesians 5 is a beautiful articulation of what it looks like to live in covenantal relationship in marriage. And the example is Jesus. The example is Jesus and his love for the church. We also as we think about Christian sexuality, I think there's two, there's two ways to live that out well. There's uh, chastity and singleness and faithfulness and marriage, and I think Jesus is our example for both of those. I'm looking forward to a sermon series we have coming up. We're gonna talk about honoring God in our relationships. We're gonna look at First Corinthians 6 and 7, uh, camp out there, and we're gonna talk about topics like sex. We're gonna talk about singleness. We're gonna talk about marriage and how to do all of those things in a way that honors God. I think Christians need to get this right because our, our culture is not getting it right. And we need to attest to and model a better way of honoring God in those situations because we believe that God's way is better than what our world has bought into. All right, now let's talk about that money piece. Concerning money, a lot of times, whenever we come to this section, love of money, there's always somebody else we hope is listening, right? This message is always for someone. Else, the person who has the bigger house or the nicer car or whatever, has the material possessions that maybe you want. Take a moment for introspection, right? You don't have to have money to love money. You don't have to have money to want to pursue money. I think maybe the question you need to ask yourself is is what are you sacrificing in the name of the pursuit of money? Because I, I think when you love something, you're willing to sacrifice for it. Let that sink in. When you love something, you're willing to sacrifice for it. So what is it you're sacrificing in the pursuit of money? If your relationship with your family is suffering because you are in the pursuit of money, you love money. If your relationship with your friends has been suffering because you're in the pursuit of money, you love money. If your relationship with God or your relationship with this church family has suffered at all because of your pursuit of money, well, then you love money. You love money. And Jesus calls us into a better way, a way of contentment, a way that doesn't divide relationships, but brings people together. So at the end, we have these announcements. It's almost scattershot, it's these bullet points. And what brings them all together? It's Jesus, it's Jesus that brings them all together. Do I have any checklist people? I'm a checklist person. A checklist makes me feel so good uh, because I love, it brings me joy to mark something off, right? Anyone else? Come on, let's see, let's see. anybody else out there? Yeah. You're my kind of people, Um, Whenever I was running the Poncha mission trip, I created a checklist for that trip, and that trip is awesome, but there's so many moving parts. Uh, The checklist was nine pages, which is ridiculous, but I felt so good being able to mark things off. Uh, It brought me great joy, If we're not careful, we can come to scripture and, and lists like this as a checklist, and it's all things that I need to do, but I don't believe this is a checklist for Christian living. I believe this is an invitation it's an encouragement to value the things that Jesus values. We don't love each other because we want to mark it off the list. We don't show hospitality to strangers. We don't remember the prisoner or the person being mistreated to justify ourselves. We don't conduct ourselves with sexual integrity, and we don't uh, avoid the love of money because we need to mark it off we do those things because Jesus values those things. That's how Jesus sees the world, so that's how we want to see the world. When Jesus values those things, we choose to value those things. Again, coming back to that truth that we started with. If we get our picture of Jesus right, we can live life with clarity and conviction. We will pursue the things that Jesus pursued because we value the things that Jesus values. The temptations of this world are gonna fall away because we're gonna value what Jesus values. There's a simple older song that I I really enjoy. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. We're gonna sing it in just a minute. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. The message of that song fits beautifully with what we've talked about today. The more you look at Jesus, the more you see Jesus, the more you value the things that he values. The more his kingdom is fostered in your life and the things of this earth drift away. That's what I want for you. So as we sing this song, we're gonna sing it through twice. I mean, I I view this song as like a meditation song. You could just have it on loop in your head and just constantly think about the truth that is conveyed in this song. So maybe God will do that with you today. Maybe this will be stuck in your head and you'll just think about that truth that's conveyed in the song throughout the day. But as we sing this, I pray that you'll reflect on Jesus and what we're called into by spending time with him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. and the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of his glory and
0: grace Turn your eyes upon Jesus. It really is the overriding message of the entire book of Hebrews. We've been calling it a sermon because that's how it's written. It's written as a homily, a teaching. And throughout that whole teaching, it is Jesus that rises to the surface. We, we call this series The Amazing Race, and our subtitle is Encouragement from the end of Hebrews. That's the encouragement. Jesus is the one who encourages us. In fact, in chapter 12, he says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Anybody know the next phrase? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. You see, when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, your life has focus. That's what Jeremy just talked to us about. Those bullet points at the beginning of chapter 13. All of those things are to say, my life is centered around Jesus, my eyes are focused on Jesus. My eyes are fixed on him. He is my example. He is my inspiration. He is my motivation. And so I want to live like him, and I want to honor him with my life. And so as the writer here, the inspired writer, finishes up this sermon at the end of chapter 13, he continues to talk about Jesus, how Jesus has changed everything and what that means for us. And so we pick it up in verse 9. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Now let me stop there for just a second. Obviously, he puts grace there as something contrary to these strange teachings. So whatever these strange teachings are, they go against grace. He says, It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle or the priest have no right to eat. And so he says, be careful about strange teachings. Now, we like to use that today and put a whole lot of things under that umbrella of strange teachings. That word strange there really means new and foreign, which is kind of odd in this context because many of these Jewish Christians in the first century were being pulled back toward Judaism, back to the familiar. And yet here the writer says, be careful about these new and foreign teachings. They have something to do, at least partially, with ceremonial foods, right? Given the context. And so possibly it's this group of of enlightened, those who think they're enlightened, Gnostic Jews, Jews who say, you can eat and you should eat the food that is Sacrificed, or the animals that are sacrificed. You should be able to eat that food and show your worthiness. Now that food was reserved in God's old law for the priest and his family. And so maybe it's this new group of Jews who think they're enlightened and they say we should be able to eat those animals who are being sacrificed and that will make us more righteous. We are internalizing that sacrifice. Or maybe it's some other group or some other appeal to show your worthiness by what you eat. That you're better than someone else because you're eating certain foods. But the bottom line is pretty clear. And that is that eating certain foods makes you no better off spiritually. Eating certain foods does nothing for you spiritually. Once Jesus' death at the cross and his resurrection at that empty tomb sealed the new covenant, righteousness came only through him. Righteousness doesn't come through anything we do. Anything we consume, anything that we are able to accomplish, righteousness does not come from us. And any teaching, any appeal that says you can earn your way, you can show your worthiness, I think this writer would say that's a new and foreign, that's a strange teaching, because righteousness only comes through Jesus. He makes us righteous, He makes us good. And so the writer continues to anchor this conversation in Jesus, the one who makes us holy, the one who makes us good. Chapter 13, verse 11. The high priest, remember before he said, we have an altar that they don't have. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. And so clearly we see an important point here, and that is that Jesus suffered outside the city, outside the camp. This was a phrase, outside the city, that had meaning. It was packed with meaning. You see, it was outside the city Where there was disgrace where there was death it was the garbage dump it was the trash heap that's where you took bodies to bury or to burn it was a place of of disgrace and shame if someone touched a dead body or somehow defiled himself he had to wash several times and then he was banished from the city from the worshiping community he was banished outside the city to wait a few days before he could come back. You see, it was a place of shame, a place of defile. In Acts, we read that when Paul was stoned and they thought he was was dead, when they tried to kill him with the rocks and thought he was dead, they dragged him where? Outside the city. Any self-respecting person avoided the outskirts of town. It was a place that reeked of death and decay and disgrace. And yet, as Keith pointed out earlier, that's where we find Jesus. Remember verse 12? He suffered outside the city gate to make us holy. The gospel writers do tell us, all the writers tell us, that he was crucified at Golgotha, the place of the skull. It was outside the city of Jerusalem. Remember the crowds that just a few days before were welcoming Jesus into the city with praises and palm branches Now, they are walking by him as he has been taken outside the city in shame to be killed. And they are mocking him. When the Jewish leaders took Jesus outside the city, you know what they thought they were doing? They thought they were cleansing the city from his influence, from his ungodly influence. The irony is, what Jesus did outside the city is what brought true cleansing to not just them inside the city but obviously to us today so what is our response he tells us we go to Jesus we go to Jesus outside the city we meet him there but wait a second didn't you say that's a place of disgrace and death who wants to go there that sounds painful That sounds like something I wouldn't enjoy. I don't want to sit on top of a trash heap. I would prefer to meet Jesus inside the city, maybe at a quaint little coffee shop, or maybe sitting on a porch swing, you know, chatting in a nice neighborhood, or better yet, maybe inside a palace with a sprawling buffet and servants and seats of honor. That's where I want to meet Jesus. You remember the situation of these first century Jewish Christians. They are being pushed outside the city, possibly literally pushed outside the city, but certainly, figuratively, they are being treated with shame and disgrace. They are being pushed away. They are on the outside looking in, alienated, excluded, persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. That's sometimes what happens to Christians, isn't it? Even today, when people are serious about following Jesus, the world doesn't get it. The world often rejects us. Mainstream culture misunderstands and sometimes targets our beliefs and our practices. In many ways, we don't belong inside the city. We don't belong as a part of the mainstream culture. And so what happens? We are banished to live outside the city. But that's okay you know why that's okay two things because number one that's where Jesus is that's where we, we will find our suffering savior outside the city and number two because the city inside the city the things that we long for in our weakest moments the things that we pursue when we are trying to identify ourselves by the values of the world all of those things Those in-groups that we want to be a part of, they will not endure. They will not last. They are not eternal. And that's why he says, yet again, that we are longing for a different city. And so it's okay to be outside the city. That's a good place to be, because that's where Jesus is. And I would say it's better to be on the outside with Jesus than on the inside without him. I hope you agree. So sometimes as believers today, we find ourselves on the outside. As our focus on Jesus gets clearer and clearer, the world gets more blurred in our vision. We live with a different set of values. We don't identify ourselves with the values and the pursuits of the world. In fact, that word for church, ecclesia, do you know what it means? Called out. We are called out from the world. We don't put stock in the structures and the systems of our world, in our governments, in our things that everyone says we need and should have, because they will not last. We pursue eternal things over earthly things. And yes, we want our world to be a better place. We want these systems and structures to work and to work well and somehow to honor God, but... We have little expectation that systems and structures that are built on temporal, worldly values will truly be a beacon of light. We understand that that responsibility falls on someone else, the church. We are to be the light. Light shining from the ash heap outside the city. And while we're outside, we don't stand there and covet what's happening on the inside. We don't look like those cows, you know, when you're driving by and you see cows in the pasture and they got their heads craned through the barbed wire fence to eat that grass that is truly greener on the other side. At least they think it is. That's not how we live on the outside, just longing for the inside. And we certainly don't live out there judging the people on the inside. What do we do? We live out there because we we are with Jesus and we profess his name. Verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Remember, we have a different altar. Well, what goes on that altar? Your life. A sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. He reminds us that we have a different altar. Not the one in the Holy of Holies. Not the one that is stained with the blood of animals. And we have different sacrifices. We put our very lives on the altar. We confess the name of Jesus. We treat other people with love and dignity. We do all of those things that Jeremy mentioned. And so much more in the name of Jesus as a sacrifice of praise. This sacrifice is the fruit of lips. I like the way it says that, the fruit of lips, the fruit of our lives and the fruit of our lips that profess his name and that do good in his name. And so as we wrap up, the question is, will you embrace life outside the city? Will you embrace life outside the city and will you live as a sacrifice of praise? You see, our goal is to not fit in. Our goal is to not be mainstream because if we fit in and are mainstream, there's a good chance that we have sold out on the kingdom of God and we have conformed to the world. And our goal is not to be on the inside looking out because all, of that, all that does is simply breed an attitude of entitlement and being judgmental toward others. And our goal is not to take the easy path, the path of least resistance. Although there's so much inside of most of us that wants to take that path, that's not the goal. Because Jesus didn't do that. And those who follow him and take up their cross and deny themselves don't do that. You see, our goal is simply to follow Jesus. And where do we find Jesus? We find him outside the city, where we sometimes experience suffering and then his name, where we sometimes are mistreated because of him, where we sometimes don't get that job or that promotion or people look at us differently or they misunderstand us or they make judgments on us or they treat us differently or they push us out of the in-group. Where all of those things and so much more happen, But that's where we are because that's where Jesus is. And all of those things that we long for inside the city, they won't last. They will not endure. We long for a different city, a heavenly one. So this week as you live, live your life in honor of the one who died for you. Make that sacrifice of praise Openly, I like that adjective, openly professing his name. Well, what if professing his name means I'm treated differently or I'm treated poorly? Yeah, you're you're outside the city, that's why. But every chance you get, you openly profess his name, and you live in ways that proclaim his name. You serve in his name, and you bring glory to his name. I challenge you to do that this week and see what God does in and through your life. If we can help you, let us us do that. Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. If you need to confess sin, certainly this is a safe place where you can do that. Maybe today you're ready to begin that walk with Christ, to confess your belief that Jesus is the Son of God, and to put him on in baptism. We would love to celebrate with you this morning. If there's something we can do, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.